Imagine this morning as you made your way here into the building um, that there was an, an individual standing out on the front steps. This individual was a sculptor and they stopped you and paused and, and said for a moment, said, listen, I, I want to let you know that I, I'm a world famous sculptor and I, I would love to do a sculpture of you. But, but I want you to know that it won't be just of you. It's really a sculpture of your life. And you pause for a moment because you're pondering, well, what might that look like? And they said, well, well, think about things that just bring you joy. What do you enjoy? Maybe think about the ways in which you spend your money. Contemplate even right now, like what's the primary thing like you're pursuing with your life? Like what's your aim? What's your goal? Where are you headed toward right now? And as you think about answering that, I wonder, just maybe a couple of questions. One, what would that sculpture look like? Two, would it be okay to put it out on the front steps? And three, a follow-up to that probably is this. If it is out there, is it going to point everyone to Jesus or point them to you? I think we all have to contemplate what is the purpose of our lives. And that's what I think Moses writes here in Genesis chapter 1 to a people who are struggling with that very thing. And he writes to them reminding them of why God created them. Answering that question, like, why did God create me? Why did he make me the way he did? Why did he put me here? Why am I born at, born at this point in history? Like, what is God doing? What's God up to with my life? You see, God writes, and or Moses writes here, to, re- recounting this about how the creation came about. Because, why? The people that he writes to are the people who've come out of Egyptian bondage. And they're there wandering through the wilderness. And they're making their way toward Canaan, the promised land. But the reality is, as much as we would say, man, these folks get it right. They are image bearers of God. Yes. But it doesn't take long that throughout their journey, we see them messing it up. You see, when Moses himself goes up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments, Aaron is left there. And they're like, well, I don't know where Moses is gone. He says, but if you'll bring me your silver and gold, he said, guess what? We'll make something to worship more or less. And so in Exodus chapter 32, verse 4, Moses has made this golden calf and he says to them, Behold your gods that brought you out of Egypt. Wow. What a moment. That these would be the people who are imaging God and now they've made an image of God as they portray Him or as they perceive who God is. Scholar and professor Greg Bill simply writes this, God has made humans to reflect Him. But if they do not commit themselves to Him... They'll not reflect him, but something else or someone else. You see, we are made to reflect something or someone, and that ultimately is God. But if we don't reflect and reveal him, we'll reflect and reveal someone else. You see, we either reflect the creator or the creation. If it's not God, then it's going to be some idol. If it's not the creator, again, it's, it's the creation that's constantly at our hearts. Guys, I want us to see today from Genesis chapter 1 that our lives were indeed created for a purpose. And that purpose is to reflect the image of God. You were created for a purpose. And that purpose is for your life to reflect the image of God. But how? How do we do that? Let's turn to Genesis 1. Would you look with me again with your copy of God's Word? Genesis chapter 1. 
Let's begin today. We're going to really zone in on verses 26 and 27. Lord willing, in a few weeks, we're going to come back because there's so much here. As Brother Todd and I talked and prayed, we realized, man, there's just so much here. We're going to slow down. And so we're going to deal in, in coming weeks with things like male and female and talk about gender and lots of things that you're dealing with in the society and culture around you of how all that flows and works in light of what Genesis 127 says. But today we're just talking about this central topic of what does it mean that we're made in God's image? So again, as we answer the question, what's the purpose of my life? Well, the first truth comes this. We are created in God's image to reflect his glory. You and I are created in God's image to reflect his glory. Let's look how it begins here. Verse 26 of Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man his own image in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. It's interesting. The rhythm of Genesis one is broken because the rhythm of Genesis one has been well, God said there was and it was good. But now we have this moment where God seems to speak to God. I mean, isn't that what he says? Look what he says there back in verse 26. Then God said, he's speaking, right? God's been speaking, but notice what he says. Let us, notice what happens here. Us, make man in our image, after our likeness. And then, it's interesting, right? It's seemingly this, this, this foggy, some sense veiled, Reference to the Trinity, like that God's not talking to angels. Why? Because we know that angels don't create. So God's speaking to someone. Let us make our, right? Us, our, our. But then you have the challenge of verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them, right? And so there's this question of like, well, Similarly, it goes to the third person, right, and plural, and then back to first or third person singular. Like, what's happening here? How's God? He's acting, and yet now at some point he's speaking to others. Well, passages like Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 in the New Testament begin to give us clarity. It says that, that God or Christ created all things were created by Christ and for Christ. You see, at times when we read the Old Testament, there's, there's a sense in which there's a veil or there's a sense in which there's a fog. But that fog begins to lift as we come to the New Testament and begin to realize that everything and everyone ultimately points to Jesus. It's in some way, I want to encourage you just again, as you think about your time of studying God's word, it's helpful to realize that sometimes you need to read the Bible backwards. Realizing that guess what? So much of what happens in the Old Testament, as Jesus said in Luke 24, it points to me. If you're reading the Old Testament, he says, it's pointing, looking to me. And that's what's happening here. When God says, let us or our, our likeness, it's a, again, a veiled reference to the Trinity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But I think this statement again, let us make man in our image after our likeness, speaks in some way in which God has created us in his image for relationship. Consider that. There's an hour to it, right? God has forever existed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So what about you? When you think about your relationships and your call to be an image bearer after God and following his example of being in relationship, how might this week, who's like maybe an elderly neighbor or someone that lives around you that you need to check in on? Maybe it's a a knock on the door. Maybe it's a phone call. Maybe it's a card. Maybe it's an offer to go and help do something they need. I don't know what it might be. As you think about relationship, 
Might you just consider, like, again, for maybe some of our kiddos in the audience, considering how about first-time obedience? Like the first time your teacher asks you to do something this week, do it. The first time your parents ask you to do something, do it. Why? Because it's a reflection that you were created to be in relationship with others. What about us as a church? I mean, we're created to be in relationship with one another. I want to ask you right now, how are you image-bearing God in our church? One of the ways you might do that is asking another brother or sister, how could I bear your burdens? In other words, how could I best be praying for you this week? Wouldn't it be like something we're missing if we walk out these doors today and we have no clue how we can pray specifically for at least one other person in this place? If we're we're failing to do that, guys, we're missing part of how God created the church and how we are to image, how we are to image Him. So I want to challenge you. Reach out to another brother or sister in this congregation. Learn to find out what their struggles are and how you can pray for them. And this week, pray for them. It's a way in which we image God, this beginning hour, right, again, of, of the Trinity. But I think we need to ask further. What is meant by this statement here, again, back in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26? Then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Verse 27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does that mean? Well, what it doesn't mean when we think about the image of God, it doesn't mean that God has like hands or feet or eyes like us. No, we know that because Jesus says in John 4 very clearly that God is what? He's spirit. So we know that he doesn't have a body like ours. So if he's not talking about his body, then how are we created in God's image if it's not like some physical likeness? Well, I think the reminder is, right, is that God tells us a little bit of that. Give us some clarity. Look what he says. First, back in verse 26. And let them have what? Dominion. Depending on your translation, you may have rule there. Okay? And in other translations, something similar. Let them have dominion over. So there's a sense of ruling. The sense of authority that we are following in God's image. And notice it says that we have authority or rule over the fish or the birds, or the livestock, or everything, all the creatures that God created, right? We are created to image God and, and have His authority over these other created things. Now listen, that doesn't mean that we become God. No, God alone is all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present, as we saw weeks back. He is from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. We could talk about these, these, these qualities of God that are different than us. But there are qualities that we have in God's image that make us in some ways like Him. That we love, for God is love. That we seek justice. That we strive to show mercy. That we, we seek to be kind and gentle and patient, right? I mean, you can hear start hearing some of those fruits of the Spirit. That we seek out wisdom and knowledge. There's ways in which we begin to bear the image of our God. And so again, as we think about that we're made in God's image, and it's not just physical bodies, scholars note that the soul consists of three things. The mind, the will, and the affections. Consider for a moment that you have a mind. It's with your mind that you reason, that you in some ways create. Now, your creating is different than God, of course, right? God creates from nothing, as we saw. But you and I have been given gifts and knowledge, and therefore we're able to create certain things. I mean, you thank God for it right now because you're all sitting down on something someone else created, right? God gave a mind and ability with our wills, right? It's part of our soul. It's with our wills that we act. And thirdly, our affections, Our affections, we can feel joy and sadness, love and anger and 
Like earlier, we were singing that song, like there's no other throne, no other grave. Man, I literally thought I was going to rocket ship out of this place. It was just like, man, my, my joy in Christ was like just overflowing. I was like, dude, I just want to, bam, let's go. Just like there's, so again, our bodies are being made in the image of God. It's speaking about more of who we are as a person created in God's likeness. And what's revolutionary about this in Genesis chapter 1 as compared to all the other accounts throughout Mesopotamia and different areas where we found what Egypt believed and different rules and, and, and people and during that time and even during our time is that you see when we think about having dominion or rule or authority over something, we think about kings and queens and dictators and even tyrants in Russia. But the Bible is different and unique in the sense that God created all of us to have rule and authority and you say well blake aren't things going to get messed up i mean don't we need somebody the bible says we have somebody and his name is god he is already the king we're living in submission to him right we and that's that's part of the rub right now you're like oh dude like light bulbs are going off like well that's why there's such big problem when the people of israel want a king they want to be like everybody else From the opening pages, the very first chapter of the Bible, they already have a king. And that's when God says, Samuel, don't get upset, brother. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But guys, this is what makes Christianity so unique, is that we recognize that every other person on the face of the earth is created in the image of God. They're unique. In other words, when people see us, they ought to be seeing God revealed. One Sunday morning, a, a few months back, uh, Pavy came down the hallway and she's like, Daddy, I look like Mommy. And, and before, uh, just a moment or two later, Emily walks in and they both, they're, they're showing me their boots and they've got, and their outfits look similar and their hair have been done and Pavy's got a little lip smack and I was like, stay away from that Bonta boy today, right? But uh, listen, I was saying, man, but she was excited. She was excited to be reflecting her Mommy. And I thought, man, for the day when that girl will treasure reflecting her God. She'll just treasure that. I think, guys, this is a reminder to us why our obedience matters. We are called to be holy as God is holy. Why? Because our, our lives are called to reflect God. That's the very thing Genesis 1 says, that you and I were created in God's image. The purpose of our lives is that we are to be image bearers. We are to reflect to the entire creation, behold our God. And the Bible says that you and I do that by the way that we act, the way that we talk, the way that we think, the way that we respond. So listen, I want you to think about that this past week. How has your life imaged God to others? Who do others interpret God to be based upon your imaging? I think as a church, right, we need to ask, what about this community? How how do they see GBC reflecting or image bearing God to them? Do they say, man, there's a church right there who loves the poor and the least of these? I think that heartbeat's changing, but I'll be honest with you, over the years that I've been here so often, the refrain comes back, I can't go to that church, that's the rich church. That means at some point, that's the persona that people have about us, and therefore, guys, the way that we help attack that misconception is that we love the least of these. 
We, we, they, people find us not saying, would you come and serve me? But they find GBC on our knees, serving others, ministering to the least of these. It's to be our heartbeat. They are to see us as people that say, you know what? They don't only care about my physical needs, man. That church cares about my soul. You know why? Because they were willing to knock on my door. They were willing to stop me in the hallway at school. And they were to talk to me about Jesus. Guys, we as a church are to image our God. You see, the reality is, just like it happened in Exodus 32, verse 4 there with Aaron and the golden calf, is that all throughout, the reason why they were doing that is because that's what everybody else did. Every other culture, every other people group, they had their idols, and this is what they look like. And guess what? What's different about Christianity is God doesn't have idols. What's he have then? He has us, the church. God has you and I, his people are to be his image bearers. He wants no statue, right? How could, how could we make a, a picture of the invisible, uncontainable God? It's impossible. But God in his infinite grace and wisdom has created you and I to bear his image. As I thought about that this week, man, I just kept thinking, dude, how miserably have I failed at this? And maybe you feel similar. Maybe you feel the weight of hearing that, of what you were created to be. And I think it brings us to our second truth. When we fail to reflect God's image, we do the very thing that Paul says in Romans 3 and 23. We fall short of what, church? Glory of God. When we fail to reflect God's image, we fall short of the glory of God. Again, I know Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and so we have the tendency to think like, well, man, that was written long before anything else happened. Well, it's talking about that. But again, Moses is writing and he's writing to a people who have spent 400 years in Egyptian slavery and bondage. And they've come out because God did these mighty miracles and, and he's part of the sea. And yet, what do we see about these people? They're grumblers. They're complainers. They even want to go back to where, church? Come on. You see, it's deception, man. Some of you are there. You're contemplating going back to the very place that God's delivered you from. Beloved, this morning, let God's word compel you. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back. So the people were created in God's image, but listen, they're failing to do that very thing. Look what happens in verse 28 of Genesis 1. And God blessed them. Again, this is speaking back to the creation of Adam and Eve there in the garden. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And behold, and God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. God's blessed them. He's provided everything that they need, everything that you and I need. And the call, listen, for these image bearers, yes, it's, it's to have Sorry, it's, it's to have dominion. But notice what else he says to them. They are to be fruitful and they are to multiply. And guess what? The Israelite people are doing that. They're being fruitful and multiplying. We see that from what they start, right? These 70 people that come up there into Egypt with Joseph. And man, they leave this massive multitude, this great army. But their struggle is this. They're struggling to fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, their struggle is to show the world who God is as his image bearers. They're struggling. I mean, even the best of them struggle, guys. 
I mean, Abraham, who's the father of our faith. He struggles to believe that God's actually going to be faithful to let him be fruitful and multiply. And therefore, he goes to his own path and it creates all this destruction in his family for years. I mean, furthermore, if we read throughout the book of Genesis, God willing, we'll, we'll keep coming to these passages. But man, God's people, they are to be his image bearers. They are the one that has God's word. They are to be the ones who are walking faithfully before this God. And yet, man, they just constantly distort the image of God. I mean, there is so much. There are some stories I like you might have to put like earmuffs almost on your kids. It's like I can't believe that's in the Bible and that's God's people doing that. I think as much as we hate it, I think it caused all of our souls to kind of leap forward. My soul all ago leap forward after hearing the truth of Romans 3. And I thought about how bad I was and the things I'd done. And then, man, we just started saying grace, grace, God's grace. That is what? Greater than all our sin. I was like, hallelujah. Man, I could almost sense it in the, in the, amongst the collection of our body. Almost like there was this, like, yes, praise God for that. What hope there is. So again, we are called as God's image bearers to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. Why? Because God's image is to go throughout all the earth. That's what he says. Fill the earth. Go throughout all the earth. That's part of what's going to happen in Genesis 11 as we come to the Tower of Babel, right? I mean, they're thinking they're just going to stay there. No, God's command was to fill the earth. God wants image bearers in every corner of the earth, reflecting his glory, faithfully obeying and following his word. The good news is, guys, our sin doesn't remove the image of God from us, but it does mar it. Again, because of our sin, the image of God isn't removed from us, but it does mar it. And it's, again, Romans 3 and 23 says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us. Last week, last Sunday night, community groups, I just had to take a few moments to confess to my brothers my failure to love my bride. Just some of the ways I'd spoken to Emily, just lack of patience. I just told them, like, man, if some other brother spoke to Pavey that way, he and I would have a problem. Any other husbands in this room like that? I had to confess to those brothers, man, that, like, Ephesians 6 and 4 says that fathers are not to provoke your children to anger. I was like, man, I've been guilty this week, especially with my oldest. I know he's not here this morning, but, man, I have a tendency to put my thumb so hard on that brother. I share that, guys, to let you know that, man, even as a pastor, I fall short. I don't perfectly image who God is. And so it just it's a reminder to my soul and to your soul how much we need Christ. We need a redeemer. We need someone that can change and transform us. Contemplate this morning, maybe again, this, this statement, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. I mean, part of that, we think about how that happens. It happens through marriage. It happens through families. I want to encourage you to think about that. What's that look like for you? That's part of why God gave us marriage and is to have families, to be fruitful and multiply. So I want to encourage you along that way. And, and for some, and, and even those who already have children, there's also the reminder, guess what? There's adoption. There's fostering. I mean, that we as believers are to be a part of those who are to be fruitful and multiply. And God has his ways of being fruitful and multiplying us that sometimes are not our thoughts or our ways. But praise God for that. So I want to encourage you. How do you need to consider adoption or fostering again? And it may just be something as simple as, you know what, baby, that's not for me. 
But you know what? I could support someone that's going to. I can pray for them. I can walk beside them. I can be there with them. I can help. Furthermore, this call to fill the earth with God's image is a reminder of our role as a church to not just stay here in Greensburg, Kentucky, but to go to the nations. This is God's image. He says, let my image be filling the earth and subduing it. Do you realize that right now, today, there are people on the face of this earth who do not have a Bible in a language they can understand? You see, my hope and prayer is that God would raise up some of you to be Bible translators. Some of you who will take the copy of God's Word as a part of the Gideon ministry or other ministries and that you will go and take this gospel to the furthest corners of the earth. And some of you, some of you in this room, I believe that God is going to stir your heart and that will be you that will go. It will be your children and your grandchildren who will go and reflect this image to the farthest corners of the earth. See, as a church, we are be a part of being fruitful and multiplying and filling the earth and subduing it. We are to reflect God's image everywhere. But there's a tension here. I mean, I think there's a tension in this text. And the, I think the tension is this. How can we who are broken actually reflect God's image? And if you feel that rub, you feel that tension, good. Because it points us ultimately beyond ourselves to someone. And that's the truth. Uh, this third truth that comes about. Jesus alone perfectly reveals the image of God. Jesus alone is the perfect image bearer. He is the ultimate fulfillment of Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. He is the ultimate image bearer. So look what happens. Paul, as he writes, or I'm sorry, not Paul, but the writer of the book of Hebrews. We're not necessarily sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. And, but notice what he says. Pick up with me in verse 2 of Hebrews chapter 1. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he did what? Created the world. Yeah. So he's going to pick up on creation. Look what he does. He, he, he jumps, starts on that in verse 2, and now he jumps further to that imagery, drawing back to Genesis 1. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Listen to what he says again. He says, Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. He's the exact imprint. In other words, Jesus is this perfect image bearer. It's like it, maybe you've had moments when you've wondered, like, is God really merciful? You've probably wondered that. Well, the Bible answers that so definitively and clearly but guess what? When Jesus comes, what do we see him doing? Forgiving people who they think are the worst of sinners. We see God showing mercy and healing the sick. Other times we wonder, like, well, maybe God will overlook sin. The Bible says no. And how do we know that so clearly? Because we know that even the Son of God, when he became sin, the wrath and the judgment of God was upon him. How do we know, though, that God is actually willing and able to forgive sins? Because the Son of God who died on the cross was buried, but on the third day, what happened, church? He was raised to life. Paul says in Romans 4 and 25 that he was raised to life for our justification. To declare to our wandering souls our weak faith to say, listen, I know you doubt. Will I really forgive you? Look to the cross and the empty tomb. 
I am satisfied with the payment for your sin. You'll never add to that. And you can never take away fully, totally trust in Christ alone. It's the hope of this gospel. But what's Jesus do as this, this perfect image bearer? Well, that's what exactly he's telling us there. It says, listen, further in verse 3, after making purification for sins. That's what he does. This perfect image bearer comes and he, he makes purification for sins. You see, throughout the Old Testament, we have these different sacrifices being made and priests and people coming and offering and they would come and, and, and they would bring a lamb, but, but the lamb, as, as Hebrews says, it could never ever cleanse the conscience. It, was, it said if that lamb was perfect, then they would have never had to keep making it. But they kept coming back time and time again, making the sacrifice of the lamb as a declaration that, guess what, that lamb was never ever sufficient. But John the Baptist says, there is, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And this perfect one comes. Consider this for a moment. The Son of God comes as the perfect image bearer. He lives the life that you and I were supposed to live according to Genesis chapter 1. And because we've not lived that life, God's judgment is upon us. But the Bible says that, that Christ comes. He perfectly images God in every action, thought, motive of his heart, every word, every single moment. He perfectly images God. And therefore, he can go to the cross. Not dying for his own sin, but dying for ours, beloved. He can die on that cross, paying the payment for your and my sin. He's making purification for your sins. Do you see it? The only way to be clean as an image bearer is not to try harder, not to do more. It is to trust and surrender to Jesus. It's the hope of the gospel. That's what we're called to be as image bearers. Indeed, as we sing, no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of what? Christ in me, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. We're just confessing our allegiance that we're trusting in Christ alone because he is the perfect image bearer. And so how do we live in response to Jesus? I think that's what Genesis 1 ultimately, as you live again, Genesis to Revelation, as you search the scriptures, everything is saying, look ultimately to Christ. Trust in Him. And so it brings us to our fourth and last point. In Christ, we are restored to reflect the image of God. The very thing that we were created to do in Genesis chapter 1. That God made us in His own image to glorify and worship Him. The little song you heard earlier. That's what we were created to do. Male and female. In His own image to worship and glorify Him. We are restored in Christ to reflect His image of God. Well, look what Genesis 1, right? It's interesting. Genesis 1 here, as we come picking up, um, coming to the conclusion of Genesis 1, we have day 5 and then day 6. And the first five days, it's interesting. They all finish and God says, and it was what? It was good. But there's a change that happens after God creates man on the day 6. Listen to what happens. Verse 31 of Genesis 1. Why don't we just read it together? And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So God's been saying all along, right, that everything was, was good. But notice what he says here. It's what? It's very good. It's very good. 
You see, we have to understand something important about obeying God's commands. It's not just about us trying to be a good person. No, our obedience matters because we are reflecting our creator, God. Consider for a moment, like, why did God say to us, do not steal? Just think about it for a moment. You you could fill in the blank with many others, right? Commands that we're not to do. Because when we steal or when we lie or whatever sin we commit, we're misrepresenting God. Do you see it? We are to be his image bearers. And and so therefore, if we are his image bearers and we are out stealing, then we're saying that God is a thief. And guess what, guys? Our lives are to be very good. But that in itself, any sin is very bad. Because why? This is why it's such cosmic treason. Do you see it? This is what's so serious about our sin and rebellion. We're misrepresenting the God of all creation in the universe to the world. I can hear the word of God saying in the Old Testament to the Israelites, and because of you, the name of God is blasphemed amongst the Gentiles. I think it ought to move us to repentance, church. To think, man, how often have my words or my actions led other people not toward the cross but away? And the Bible is just saying, guys, That's what's so serious about our lives and our sin. It's not just simply, oh, I broke a command. No, yes, we broke a command. But guys, we are not imaging God. That's what's, it's cosmic treason. It's the highest rejection of a holy God is to say, I want to do it my way. But the good news is the Bible says that not only did Christ was he crucified and buried and raised on the third day, but it says that for everyone who repents and believes, it says they receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. God comes to indwell you to transform you from the inside out. It's the power of Christ in us. And therefore, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, listen to what he says. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, the image of God are being transformed into the same image. Whoa, that, that, I'm just telling you, like I, at times I almost feel uncomfortable even repeating that. Listen to this again, listen to this. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord. We're beholding God's glory as we look to Christ, as we look to God's word. Listen to what it says. We, people like me, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. And I, I'm telling you, I hear it, and I just think there's no way. And I love, man, I love God's word. Because look, Paul says, yeah, Blake, I know you, I know, I know, I know, I know. Four, here, here, here. Blake, don't forget this. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Ah, oh, it's God. From beginning to end, it's Philippians 1 and 6, that he who began a good work in you will carry it unto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Guys, as we behold the glory of the Lord, again, we behold the glory of the Lord ultimately through his word. That's why we're reading the word, praying the word, singing the word, preaching the word, right? Seeing the word through the Lord's Supper and baptism. We, as we do that, listen, the word of God says that you and I, we're being transformed into the same image. God is making us like his son, All praise to Him. Amen. What else do we say? All praise to Him. 
from one degree of glory to another. I was reading an article this week. It just it had this, this couple statements. I just want to share them with you. It says the Bible warns us that when we worship false gods, we become like them. And I, I just want to encourage you for a moment. When you think about, like when we worship money, it, it makes us greedy and stingy. Like when we worship power, like it causes us to become harsh and demanding to others. Like when, when we worship approval, then we're always anxious or fearful that someone's not going to approve of us. When we worship success, then like we're constantly so busy and we can never ever rest. You see, the truth is these false gods, guys, it's, it's not only are they, are, they, are they leading us astray, but we're becoming more like them instead of like Christ. That's why we gotta reject the idols in our hearts, these, these idols that are there. No, they're not on our shelf like maybe the people back in, in these times, but the truth is they're in our hearts. And we're seeking them. And the question is like, what, what are you gonna do? What do you do with that? Try harder on your own. The Bible's shown you today, you can't do it. There's no one righteous, no one that seeks God. We're broken. Guys, the Bible says there's actually only one hope. And it's not a better you. It's a trusting you in the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. It's hoping in Him. To the unbeliever today, I want to compel and urge you with all that is in me. You will never perfectly image God, and none of us have. And you can try all those other things, money or power or or authority or success or approval, and they will never, ever satisfy. You'll never have enough. That carrot will never stop being chased. But you can finally come to a place of rest. Knowing that there's one who perfectly bore God's image for you and his name is Jesus. Might you hear the words of that old song? Oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior. A life more abundant and free. Tell them church, turn your eyes what? Upon Jesus. Look full at his what? Wonderful face. And the things of earth will go what? Strangely dim in the light of his what? Glory and grace. Hmm. To the church today. Does this text not remind us that every single person on the planet is created with dignity and value? Every person. Every person that you have ever seen is created in the image of God. This is why as Christians we oppose things like abortion and racism and abuse and sex trafficking and bullying, and euthanasia, and all these other things. Why? Because we realize it's ultimately an attack on God. Every person you see is created in God's image. That means you too, beloved. Come on now, listen. We, we, we're so caught up, man. And, and the enemy works so hard that we, what we see in the mirror, what we see in our bank account, what we, like we see about ourselves, we just hear this failure, and we see all these things that are wrong with us. Guys, that's why we've got to fix our eyes not on those things, but on Jesus. He is our perfecter. Listen, this means that every person, regardless of color or age or class or education or even their current lifestyle, everyone is made in the image of God. And this is why we will show them love and respect. And this is why we will go to every single one of them and compel them to turn from those false gods and look to the one true living God, Jesus Christ. GBC, are you with me? Are you ready to go and to share that gospel, that hope with your family, your friends, this community, 
And ultimately, as the word of God says, to the entire earth, to fill it and subdue it. To tell everyone that there is hope of forgiveness. That you were created for a purpose. There is more than this. So know and be restored to the holy God by faith in the Son of God. It's the only hope and the power to transform us is not in of ourselves. We're not going preaching us. We go preaching Christ and Him crucified. Stumbling block to Jews. Foolishness to Gentiles. But to us who are being saved, this is the very power of God. Never forget, as Paul says, and this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. We'll never go alone. Would you pray with me? Ah, man, what, Lord, what hope. What is our only hope in life and death, Paul asks? It is that we are not our own, but we belong to God. Lord, that you would restore back to yourself broken image bearers and fill us with your spirit, purify our sins, and empower us now by the power of your Holy Spirit to reflect your image to everyone we meet. God, thank you. What an opportunity we have As your word says, we have now become Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. Lord, what an opportunity that you would use broken pottery, feeble hands, weak minds, checkered past, and you redeem it for your glory and you use us to share the hope of the gospel. Lord, I just want to say today, thank you. Thank you, God for restoring us and redeeming us in your son, Jesus. We want to just pledge all of our hope and trust in him. Power us now, Lord, to go and share the gospel with this community and with the nations. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Amen.